0: No, I have to pay taxes.
1: <laughs> what state are you from again? Somewhere down south? I'm from Texas. We're gonna secede.
2: <laughs> I always love it when people bring that we have a secession clause. So I use them for tracking work and invoicing clients. You can get a 30-day trial at GetHarvest.com. Use the offer code RR after your 30-day trial to get 50% off your first month. Hey, everybody, and welcome to Episode 8 of the Ruby Freelancer Show. This week on our panel, we have Eric Davis. Hi. We have Evan Light. Yo. And we have Jeff Schoolcraft. What's up? And I'm Charles Maxwood from TeachMeToCode.com. Um, so this week, we're going to talk about products and building products. Um, and now I know that some of you guys have built products. Um, I know that uh, Jeff, for example, has the freelance... What is it? The, the email? The, the freelance weekly? Freelancers freelance weekly? Funnel. Freelance funnel. Yeah. And uh, I also get your your newsletters. and I don't know if you count those as products or not. Um, and then Eric has some stuff that he's been working on. And uh, hopefully we can get him to talk about that. Um, I'm not sure that Evan or Evan has a whole lot in the way of products yet. So
1: I do nothing. I just sleep all day. No, actually I wrote an iPad app that people crapped all over. So I can talk about that.
2: Yay. Failed products. I've I've got a few of those under my belt. So, um, first off, I'm, I'm a little curious. Um, how do you guys decide which products to work on?
0: Um, for me, it's, the first one started as just a uh, hey i have some stuff here i can you know do a little bit more work and turn this into a product or two um and then now uh if you're not familiar with it amy hoy does a class called 30 by 500 um there's a process in there for like looking at products and basically because of that i notice like oh there's a product opportunity over here and that's kind of how i pick like. You know, there's an opportunity, there's a, a hole in the market over here I can work in, and this will be interesting in. And I'm going to build a product for this.
2: Right. So, what products do you have, Eric? I know you have the refactoring in Redmine or refactoring Redmine. Yeah. Any you so, book?
0: I have, I'll go in order. There's one I did called C Project Run, which was basically a project management application. Um, based on Redmine. It was a totally failed product because I didn't know what I was doing with stuff. Um, basically, failed for business reasons, not technical reasons. Um, and then I have a book I wrote after that called uh, Refactoring Redmine. It's an ebook. And then I have Redmine Tips, which is another ebook. And then I also bought a third ebook called Authoring Ebooks. Um, those are all my current products. And then I'm working on a new product called Chirk. Um, it's a product for HR professionals to kind of do better of hiring. And so I've started with a SAS and then I built, th- or I built two eBooks, bought a third eBook, and then I'm building a SaaS again.
2: Right. Now, how do you spell, uh, Chirk?
0: C-H-I-R-K. And the website is ChirkHR.com.
2: Okay. Um, Jeff, you want to talk about the products that you have? Oh,
0: <clears throat> sorry. Yeah, sure. Um.
3: Freelance funnel, like you mentioned, uh, takes the headaches out of finding new leads for um, freelancers all kinds. Um, biggest, the biggest group of leads that I get are for um, designers, followed by copywriters, and then a lot of the programming trades all roll up after that. PHP, WordPress, some Ruby, and some other stuff. So that that's one. I don't know if I consider the newsletters products or not. They're definitely. Whoops! An effort. You drop your mic.
2: No, I, uh, I was scratching my <laughs> head and I elbowed the um, the scissor arm that I have, holding it up in front of me. So
3: nice, nice bass reverb. Yeah. So, so um, yeah, the newsletters, I have three newsletters right now. I, I, don't, I, wouldn't consider them. Yeah, I don't think I consider them products. I have a couple iPhone apps. Uh, one in the store, two. Pending review to get to the store, uh, minute math, addition, subtraction, and multiplication. I'll have links to those somewhere because the iTunes URLs for that stuff is miserable. And then a, a while ago, cast is still around, screencast for behavior driven development that I did with uh, Istvan Hoka. And that's, it's been a while. Still see a couple purchases for those come through, which is interesting, and people still want us to do some more. So, Probably have to break out ScreenFlow again and start doing those. But yeah, that's there are probably others that I don't remember, and definitely several failed, failed or shuttered versions of products too.
2: Right, woohoo, failure. <laughs> so speaking of failure, I actually have a couple that I've uh, tried to do, and and I really think that they failed more for marketing than anything else, which is kind of weird considering that I now have a pretty solid um, podcast listening audience. But um, basically I tried to do a, a, like a beginning rails course and I only had a handful of people sh- uh, sign up. Um, I think I was I was also trying to, uh, to create a product that with that, that the, the market I was selling it to wasn't necessarily um, my podcast market because most of the people who listen to Ruby Rogues are more experienced Ruby and rails developers and don't need a beginner's course. So, um, probably should be marketing something else to them. But, um, anyway, I did that. Um, I haven't any of the other product ideas I've had, I haven't finished. So, um, and, and maybe that's something that we want to talk about. I don't know, but, uh, you know, Mm. the non finishing, but anyway, so, um, that's, that's kind of the big F that I've gotten. I mean, I, I did make a little money off of it, but not, not a lot. So.
1: so, yeah, I have I actually have or have had two then. There's the one I actually shipped and the one that I kept dithering with and never really got anything done with. Um, the iPad app was totally something um, that I was just experimenting with. I guess I wrote it like a little over two years ago, two and a half years ago. Um, when I first went solo as a freelancer, and had a little bit of downtime. Mm-hmm. So... I only worked on that so long as I had downtime and as soon as I got fully engaged well I put that down because well I was getting paid and spending all my hours working and a lot of them so uh, I had something working by then um, by the time I started um, being at the time I was fully engaged to clients, but um, what really shot me in the foot more than anything else is um, the lack of testing automation around iOS back then. So uh, I, my last shipped version was a um, was a bum build, it turned out, and so people were having bugs left and right just because I didn't adequately test the release before I pushed it, so it got tons and tons of crap reviews. But I mean, in a nutshell, it was just a, um, a read-only Pivotal Tracker client because at the time, there weren't any iOS Pivotal Tracker clients and I really wanted just a um, so for me backing up before I even further finish that sentence. I um, I like to scratch my own itches when I work on products. I mean, th- to me, they're tools, but I figure if I'm going to build it, if, if it's something that I want badly enough that I'm going to build it, then odds are someone else will probably be stupid enough to want to use it. Um, so not that I'll necessarily make it. Yeah, I'm, I'm kidding about the stupid part, but uh, – but, i'm really trying to scratch an itch with the hopes that other people will find it useful and maybe i'll make a few bucks off of it but not with the intent of someone's going to buy me out or i'll get rich um and it, it it worked up until that last build and i guess i didn't deploy that last build to my ipad and oops um and i didn't realize that for quite a while the other one i had um is a product idea I've had in my brain for quite a while, related to my wife's health um, and managing my wife's health. And I think what stymied, or what had stymied me there, stymied me there for so very long, is that I had too many feature ideas, and I, I didn't narrow down the MVP um, when I first came up with the idea. Must have been like three years ago, and I was still getting the hang of MVP. Mm-hmm. And now that I have kind of a clue about how to narrow feature sets down, I've just been too busy lately.
2: <laughs> right. So you, you brought up a point that I kind of want to uh go into really quickly. Um and that is you, you said I spend time on my products when I have downtime and if I'm fully engaged then I don't. Um and it seems like a lot of times we hear from Eric in the when we're chatting on Skype um, you know, to to spend a few hours every week working on products. Is is there a right way or a you know, a preferable way of doing that? And what are the trade offs to doing that?
1: Well I'm certainly no expert in the matter, but I suspect that I I tend to think I'm doing it wrong as far as products go. Um, as I think all of us know in terms of marketing, having all Red Kit clients now at least once by now, um, a little bit often tends to win in at least the marketing sense and I tend to believe that a little bit often tends to win in a lot of cases so trying to sprint a client through during I mean a client <laughs> a product uh, through downtime is probably not an effective way to build a client in wow i keep saying client how to build a product <laughs> yeah i've got the, um, the freudian slip going on here it's not an effective way to build a product maybe a prototype but mm-hmm. um, i don't think that's a good way to build something that you want to ship and maintain but right. yeah i'd love to hear from the guys who've actually shipped stuff that people actually pay money for on an ongoing basis i mean it depends
0: i think like marketing stuff you want a little bit over time i mean because you hear like the big launches like i'm buying a super bowl ad style You'll hear about them for like an hour, and then you forget about them. And so with marketing, yeah, you want kind of the little, little dribbles over a month versus like one day where it's like that's the only thing you hear about. Mm-hmm. Um, but on the other hand, especially as developers, as people who create things, most of the time we need to sit down and have like big uninterrupted blocks of time. And mm. so that's that's the hard thing. That's something I learned at first is I thought I could just take like half a day on Friday, have a big four hour uninterrupted block, do all my marketing and then I'll be good. Well, it it was too much at at once. And so now what I do is I kind of take, you know, half a day, do a bunch of marketing, but I do it in a way where I did the work like this afternoon, but that work's going to be dribbled out over the next week and a half. And I'm still tweaking it and getting it going better, but it's going to get to the point where I can kind of batch up work. And so I work on client work about one and a half weeks a month. And so during that time, I'm basically like, you won't see me on Twitter. You won't see me online. Um, but I'm trying to get it. So like marketing blog posts, tweets, all that stuff kind of still goes out. And so it looks like I'm still doing the things, even Mm -hmm. though myself I'm, you know, sitting in the corner writing code for a client.
2: Right. That, That makes sense. So, you know, there, and there are tools for, uh, You know, spacing that out. If you're using WordPress, you can schedule your posts. If you're if you're using Twitter or something, I think there's Buffer app, and there are a few others out there that you can use to kind of space stuff out. Is that kind of the approach that you take with that, or?
0: Yeah, and because most of my marketing is writing, because I I enjoy writing, that's what I do, and. Basically, I use WordPress and I just use scheduled posts. Like, even if I'm writing a blog post that I'm going to post today, I still schedule it out for like 10 minutes. I don't post something live. I kind of give it, give me a chance to put it out there, let it sit for a second, and then it goes live. And then I have a it's using WordPress, but it's like a tumble log style blog. And that's where I post a lot of my bookmarks and stuff too. And I'll schedule up a couple of those of just like more for me, like these are interesting links, but that all gets fed into Twitter and Facebook and all that too. And I've seen a lot of people like retweeting or favoriting and valuing it a lot. So.
2: Right. Um, h- how do you approach this, Jeff?
3: I probably fall much more in the same camp as Evan, as opposed to Eric. Eric does it a lot better than I do, being able to budget time to, uh, to do product development or, in his case, uh, marketing, which is, I mean, a prototype or not, Evan, I mean, most of your time is in marketing. The development, for us, right. is the easiest part of this whole thing. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, I mean, for me, it's sort of, uh, when I get a chance, and I haven't had a chance in a while, but, but when I get a chance, I'd love to get to a, to a point where I can schedule in marketing the products and marketing the business and working on the business and all the other stuff around or with client work. But I'm not very good at that sort of scheduling yet.
2: Right. So do you feel like uh, you should be marketing uh, way ahead of when you're going to release or... It, you know is it is it generally okay to do the marketing after you've got it done, or I mean, what do you guys think about that?
3: It's a marketing is a never ending task before I mean, if you listen to a lot of people, I think Rob walling he does starts for the rest of us and puts on microconf and does the micropreneur academy. I think he his recommendation is to start marketing before you write a line of code. Uh, most people, I mean, the code aspect of it is so small compared to marketing. I mean, 80-20 is probably even still well skewed in favor of development time. But the vast majority of your time needs to be spent on and for marketing.
2: Right.
0: I mean, from what I've seen, you can do it anyway. Like, as developers, th- the problem we're going to have is we're not going to market. Like, that's, that's the problem. I wouldn't worry too much about you need to do it before, during, after, whatever. If you can just market whenever, you know, try to see if your market's going to buy your product and all that you're, you're already ahead of most people. Um, if you're doing that, it's best to start marketing beforehand. Um, you know, it's, it's the, you know, little drips type thing. Like your marketing is going to take a couple months before you see anyone really noticing it and mm-hmm. any sales coming from it. So if you launch and then start marketing, you have that, you know, say two month gap after launching. But if you start marketing, you know, a month and a half before you launch, you're going to start seeing sales right away. Okay. But I mean, the, I think the biggest problem is just doing the marketing and getting in the habit of doing it that, you know, that's the big problem. See, I think that, but
1: I think this also comes back to the larger question of why is it you're building what you're building? Are you building something because you hope to make a steady income off of it? Or are you building something because it satisfies a need of your own and you're going to share it with other people and maybe they'll find it useful or maybe they won't, but at least you'll have something of your own that you find useful. And I think at at least for me, maybe naively, um, when I, I'm building a tool for me, I'm not really marketing it because I'm, I'm focusing on building it for me. Then maybe after I've got something to show for it, I might say, hey, folks, I've got this thing. I'm gonna go look at it. If you hate it, well, oh, well. And if you like it, hey, cool. Tell me what you like. Maybe I'll make it better. Or if you don't like it,
3: maybe I can make it better. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, so that second thing you described is a project and not a product. I, mean In my opinion, if you're going to make a product, then it's something you're going to sell and you want to get – uh, the most value for your time, if it's something that fair uh, enough, yeah. You're scratching an itch, want to play around with something, want to see what whatever it is. I mean, then then it's a project, and sure, a project can turn into a product later, and you probably have a whole lot of mental baggage around how cool or awesome the project is by the time you turn it into a product. That you might be hamstringing yourself, and I've done that a few times, but I mean isn't my opinion but a product a product you're focusing on providing value and charging for that value a project you're just playing with.
2: Okay, so uh, I guess my next question is how do you how do you determine whether or not your market wants the product that you want to build or or do I have that backward?
3: Well, this goes to sort of the advertising thing and that's so there are two points I want to follow up from Eric on the advertising. One is momentum so there'll become a time in the, the life of any product or project. It's like the 80%, 90% point where you're almost done and it's impossible to hit that last 10% just to push it out the door, to kick it out, so to speak. And so if you're doing some marketing and you get people to at least respond to you or to retweet or say anything that looks cool, then they help you with that momentum going, going forward so it's easier to push it out the door uh, the second point, and sort of the lead into your question, if the four-hour workweek. Talked about it with Tim Ferriss, all of the Eric Reese and the Lean Startup. I mean, their whole thing is you put up a landing page with screenshots or copy text to get on a to get on a mailing list. Uh, Tim Ferriss was a little more. He would go a step further and uh, you buy $100 worth of Google Ads, you go to this landing page, describe some version of a fake product you think you want to mm-hmm. make and see how many people you can get to click through and take that first call to action. Then you say, well, it's not quite ready yet, but based on some of those conversions, you get an idea for whether or not the people you can reach with $100 thinks the idea you thought was good is mm-hmm. good or not. But it's right. not but that answers a different question. There are two, I think you asked two questions, and Eric can answer the second one. But that question is, how do you know if there's a market for a product that you already have in mind? And so the second, the other half of that question is, how do you find a product to make that your audience or market wants to buy from you? And I think that, in my mind, that makes sense as two questions. I might not have articulated the second question well, though.
2: No, I, I think it's a very relevant question, mainly because I think a lot of us in different ways, you know, we have an audience. I mean, whether that's the people that we're talking to at conferences or the people that we're spending time with at the users groups, you know, it, it, we have people that we already have kind of a rapport with, we have trust with. And so I think it's way easier to sell something to them than to sell something to uh, a market that we're not a part of or that we don't understand or we don't know. And so...
3: Right and I heard that and I'm cutting you off but I just I drove to n I drove to New York I'm going to let you finish Yeah I'm going to let you finish but <laughs> So I drove to New York and back from New York for a, a funeral and I listened to Yes 50s scientifically proven whatever whatever I'll get a link and I will be a pick maybe but one of the things they talked about I think it was um I listened to a lot of stuff but there there are three things uh, the easiest thing to sell is an existing product to a new market, a new product to an existing market. So those are the two easiest ones to sell. And the hardest mm-hmm. is a new product to a new market. Right. So that just sort of co- follows on with your comment.
2: Yeah, that makes sense.
0: Yeah, and there's there's a way I've kind of looked at it. I mean, I'm probably borrowing someone's things. because I've read so much about this thing. But you can either do a product folk product focused business or you can do a market focused business. And the product focused one is where, like like Evan said, like I have this idea for this itch I want to scratch. I'm building this, I'll sell it to people if they're interested. And that's where the, the product, the idea is the most powerful thing in the business. The market focused business is, I have this group of people, we'll say Ruby freelancers, they have certain problems they have certain pains they have certain you know loves hopes dreams you know a whole bunch of different things what can i build using the skills i have for this group and what can i right. what what would they buy and that's the market focused way and i've done the product focused way on let me see on my first SAS and my first ebook and i've done the market focused way on Cherk and then my other ebook and i have to say the market focused way It it takes a lot more of like the market research and, you know, thinking about stuff and it's a lot harder brain activity, but building it, it feels a lot easier and marketing it feels a ton easier too.
2: Right. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. So, um, yeah, I was actually talking to my mastermind group the other day and this is something that kind of came out of that was, uh,
1: you mean we're not your mastermind group?
2: okay so i'm a member of two official mastermind groups (laughs) and i'm on three podcasts with panelists that are kind of like mastermind groups um in in the sense that you know we have this mind share and 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 i think honestly the four of us together are smarter than the you know than if you took how smart each of us is and added it together because i i think i think we can kind of synergize ideas better this way I think Um,
1: I subtract brain power from this group.
2: I don't think so. (laughs) Anyway, um, so I'm a member of Too
3: slow on the mute. Too slow on the mute.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Close the blast doors. Close the blast doors. Open the blast doors.
2: Sorry. (laughs) Uh, okay, as you were saying? Yeah, where are the controls to extend the bridge? I think I just shot them.
1: <laughs> <laughs> nice.
2: If, if we're making Star Wars references. Anyway, so I'm a member of what's called the Podcast Mastermind. It's actually put together by Cliff Ravenscraft over at PodcastAnswerMan.com. Um, big surprise, I'm part of a big um, podcast sharing and mindshare group. Anyway, um, so we're, we're split up into smaller groups of about, there are about six people in my group. Um, and so we, we sit and we, we talk about, you know, our podcasts, but we also talk about just life and our business and things. Um, and, uh, one of the things that, uh, came out of, of that was somebody was talking to, um, an attorney because one of the guys in the group is an attorney. He, he has yet to start his podcast, but, uh, we were having this same kind of discussion and somebody pointed out. Well, if you're doing coaching or consulting of, of any kind and you have the same question coming up over and over again from your market or from your clientele, from the people you're coaching, you know, then there's probably a product there. And uh, I, I think this kind of comes back into the the market focused business a little bit in the sense that, you know, you're, you're getting feedback from the market. Your, your market research is almost being done for you because they're saying, we want this. And in in particular, they're saying we want this from you because we know you can deliver it. And uh, it really occurred to me that there were a few things. I I get, I get questions probably a handful of times a week, and I think if I open myself up to it, I'd get a whole lot more. But um, anyway, and and I really don't mind answering people's questions, but sometimes, if it's going to take you know more than like five minutes, I'll make them pay me. Um, but anyway, um, so yeah, so it really occurred to me that. I probably have about four products sitting in my inbox right now, um, from, from different things that people want to know or want me to provide for them. And, uh, you know, I, I I was kind of kicking myself for the next day just because it was like, it was so obvious to me. And so if you have any, you know, any community interaction in your market, then I, I think that's a great way to figure out what they want and in particular what they want to know. If, if this is an information product anyway.
0: So I've stopped tracking ideas like, oh, this might be a product a while ago. Um, I just opened up my document. Last time I used it, um, I put in idea 192. So, (laughs) yeah, like when you start thinking like, oh, this could be a product, you're going to get a ton of ideas, a ton of like, hmm, I think this could work. Um, best advice for that is to write them down and try to ignore the idea for a couple of weeks and then come back to it. Cause I'm looking at some of these ideas and I'm like, really? Like no one's going to buy that. That's a stupid idea. And you know, you, you don't get that right away when you have the idea, you want to rush and build it. And you just, sometimes you got to hold yourself back on that.
2: Yeah. I, I really like that idea of writing down your ideas too. Um, yeah, because for me, if I don't write them down, if I don't get them out of my head, then they sit there and I'm I'm constantly thinking about them and and kind of overthinking them until yeah.
0: Well, well, they end up growing and growing and then you know you had this huge behemoth of this product with fifty thousand features in it and it's always going to be ninety <laughs> yep. percent done and never launch. and you're going to be like I just need to do this one more thing and I'll get it out to the customers and there's there's always that one more thing. It's not even uh, it's not even that I think it's so much the the mental
3: energy you're spending convincing yourself that it's going to be a good idea. It's it's harder Instead for you to go back and something. say, well, that, but, like, so Eric has 192 ideas, but if he kept a few of those, the one that he just said, oh, nobody's going to buy that, if he had kept chewing on that idea mentally for a while, it would be a lot harder for him to say, nobody's going to buy that, it would be a lot easier for him to say, oh, yeah, this is a genius idea, everybody's going to buy it. And so I think that's a a big deal, too. I mean, ideas are, ideas are worthless, right? Yeah. Nice. Yeah.
1: So when like I spend the the a lot self-due. of time chewing on an idea, I, I actually become increasingly skeptical of it. But maybe that's because of my nature.
2: <laughs> I, I think I think it can depend. I mean, because um, some ideas I get and, and the more I think about them, the more I'm thinking, gee, that's a dumb idea. And, and what's funny is sometimes I'll wind up talking to somebody and they'll come up with the same idea and they'll, they'll like start getting amped up about it. Um, but then other ideas, you know, I start thinking about it. And the more I think about it, the more I see potential in it. So I think it really depends on how well I identify with the market for it. You know, if if it's something that I would really want as opposed to something that, you know, it's just like, yeah, that could make money, but you know, and then you start thinking about the obstacles to getting there and realize that, you know, um, maybe maybe it doesn't make sense. Maybe it doesn't make sense for the market that you're trying to push it out in. So I don't know. Well
0: another thing to look at is I mean, we're all freelancers and so we pretty much have an hourly rate and for you to go and build something yes. that's going to take X amount of hours at X yes. amount of dollars an hour, that's an investment. I mean, yep. yeah, you're not putting money up front, but I mean, I'm looking at Cherk right now, the entire Cherk project back to look like November when I first started researching it, I've spent 114 hours on it. That's a significant amount of time and money right there. You know, yeah. so that could have been quite a, quite a large client project or two that, you know, could have brought cash into my bank but I chose to put that on a product so it's a it's a huge opportunity cost you have to be aware of too and the larger the idea the harder it is you see
1: that right there I I I meant I should have said this earlier it was implied that right there is why I don't work on product unless I have downtime because I I do think about I I do think about how much my hourly rate is how much time I'm spending on it and how much time if I focused more on getting work or or doing client work, I could be making right now versus the opportunity cost that I really might not see much of anything back on, except for um, scratching an itch. And that's one of the reasons that I like scratching an itch, because at least if I'm scratching an itch, I know at the end of it, I'll have a tool that's useful to me, even if I don't make much money off of it.
2: Right. The, The flip side for me that I see is that, you know, if it is a product that's bringing in, I mean, even a couple thousand dollars a month. You know, it if, if I do hit a slowdown, it'll smooth that out some. And if you know, if I don't know, it it really comes down to to that kind of thing, just freeing up time. Because if if you're making a few thousand dollars a month, and that's a few thousand dollars worth of um of of income of hours that that I can spend with my kids or my wife. So I mean. There, there's this flip side, but yeah, I mean, it's, it, it is, it, it really comes down to opportunity cost and, um, you know, really the, the risk that you're taking on that investment.
0: Yeah. And I mean, that's, that's an important thing. It's like, I, we didn't touch on it. I'm kind of not mad, but you know, kind of mad that we didn't do it at the beginning, but like you have to have a reason why you're building a product. I mean, mm-hmm. Evans kind of pointed out that it's easier for him to just get clients and do it that way. But for me, See, I actually want to build products so that I have what some people call time and location freedom. Like right now I have location freedom. I can freelance from almost anywhere in the world. I just need internet connection, power, and, you know, time to work. But I pretty much have to work the nine to five schedule because that's when most of my clients work. Mm-hmm. You know, I can't just say I'm just going to work nights from now on because I won't be able to call my clients. So products are kind of getting me towards that way of having the the time freedom And what they're doing right now, like I'll say, like I have the three books on the market. They're making roughly a thousand dollars a month, plus or minus a couple hundred, you know, some months are higher, some months are lower, but even the really low months get balanced out because the next month is high. So I'm making a thousand dollars and I've pretty much figured that, okay, these products are basically paying for me to have about a week, maybe two weeks off a month to work on either the the products I have now or new products. And so for the past, uh, I think almost a year now I've been funneling the the money I'm getting from products that are already done back into either marketing those products or building new products and basically bootstrapping my way so that, you know, the products can sustain my business. Cause then once I can do that, then I can do a whole bunch of other freelance stuff and I can work on whatever projects I want. I can pick stuff. I can, if I don't feel like freelancing in the summer, I could take the time off and you know there's a whole bunch of the freedoms that I can get from having them and that's why I'm trying to build products um I know a lot of people kind of have that idea too but they don't actually explicitly say like this is why I'm doing it um so that's like a big important thing if you're going to build products figure out why you're doing it like are you trying to become you know Facebook 2.0 or are you just trying to be able to spend time with your family or what right
2: i think one other thing that comes to mind there is and, and you kind of uh, um you kind of alluded to it and that was that you, you said that it frees up about a week or maybe two every month. And and I think that's another thing that you can really look at and say, look, you know, if I'm, I mean, let's say I'm only making like $200 or or $300, let's say $300. And my hourly rate is a hundred dollars an hour. I mean, that's, that's at least, you know, three hours a month that you could put in on the, you know, the product to either grow it or market it or, you know, whatever that, you know, you don't have to go out and, you know, find a client and, and, and work the couple of hours for them. And uh, you know, hopefully then you'd be able to build on that as you find ways of making those um those products earn you more money. And so hopefully it, you could you could grow into the point where you're you know you're self sustained off of the products.
1: But is it an illusory gain or is it a real gain? Because you have to invest the time in order to make the products. So Your head's down working on the product. And then once you get it out there a product that's essentially unattended is going to have, is most of the time, I have to believe, going to have a finite lifespan. Yeah. The question is, is is the the money earned greater than the money input? And if it's not, then you're not necessarily gaining much.
2: Yeah, that, that's that's potentially true as well. Um, I I think for me though, I'm a little bit of an optimist here. I'll admit that, but. I also think that uh, silly (laughs) optimists. I think that if if I can get to that point where you know I can self-sustain for at least you know a couple of weeks out of the month um, off of the products, then you know if if it buys me more freedom, you know um, I'm not sure that it's not worth it, even if you're just measuring on a monetary scale. And I think I think that's kind of what Eric was talking about with why you're doing it, because if you're doing it and you're just measuring it by money then I think that's kind of a hard metric to go by sometimes it's, it's really hard to measure in a lot of cases. But if you're, you know, if you're going off of some of the other factors, you know, such as how much time did I free up, you know, how many hours did I get to spend with my kids? Um, you know, so I, I sacrificed for a month or two and then, and then I, you know, I opened up all this free time and sure I may, may never quote unquote earn the earn the money back. But, you know, did did it change my quality of life in a significant
1: way? What I'm getting at is and and this is not I don't think that this is particularly pessimistic is is it a false dichotomy? Because if you aren't freeing up more time than you earn in terms of money, can't you just be working less in the here and now and spend more time with your family in the here and
2: now? That's true. I I don't know. And and what that
1: and what that's what that is called is quite simply admit uh, just work less, Mm -hmm. earn less, spend more time with your family. Yeah, because I mean the, the the counter example I'll give is I and I've mentioned before I I do not work eight billable a day. None of us do. No. But uh, I mean I I average between four and six, probably closer to four, and that gives me more time to goof off or gives me more time to be relaxed and just hang out with my wife in the evening.
2: Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. I so, so, charge well, more. <laughs> charge well, more. Yeah.
1: Charge well, more. Yeah, charge less. Yeah. Well that that's the that's the Eric Davis formula, and then and, and I'm not picking on Eric when I say that. I followed it and it's worked to a degree.
2: Yep. It's working for me. There you go. <laughs> yeah, right.
1: So if we haven't said this one lately, raise your rates, people.
2: <laughs> I think we said that Eric, like two weeks ago.
1: Maybe. Um, uh, but it's yeah. usually worth saying again.
2: Yep, definitely. All right. Well, is there anything else that you guys want to add to this discussion before we get into the picks?
0: There's a whole bunch, but I don't think we have 48 hours for me to go through everything I can think of. All right, well, there, Eric. All right, so I guess the last, the
3: last point was it doesn't just have to be. I mean, we focus strictly on us doing either hourly or us doing product work, and there's no in between and no other alternatives. But you can, I'm much happier to pay someone. It's certainly for the building stuff. I mean, the marketing. You sort of have to own that for a long time because no one's going to believe in it as much as you do. But, I mean, the building of the product, I would much prefer to have somebody else build a product than I would want to build it myself. Just because it's so easy to get chasing down a rabbit hole and write off eight hours that should have been a couple hours. And I'm a lot harder on other people's time awareness than I am on myself. I'm a lot more forgiving when it comes to me chasing down errant rabbits, I guess. But Yeah,
1: for pro- in other words, for product development, you're, you're willing to do yak shaving, whereas you would expect other people not to. Yeah, exactly. Yeah.
3: I mean, yeah. and that might be hypocritical, but, I mean, it's a lot easier for me to, to uh, I guess, justify it away when I'm the only, when I have to justify it to myself, it's a lot easier to justify it away than it is if I was trying to justify that to a client. If it was some like upgrade to Rails three two from two zero, I mean, without some significant wins, I mean, that's a whole lot of work for no apparent benefit. And yeah, so I mean, mm-hmm. that's an extreme. But I mean, it's easier for me to to justify that to myself, especially when I'm not filling it out on uh, as some expense on QuickBooks to say that I'm sinking all this cost into a product versus getting on somebody for whatever.
1: Well, that's another thing. Um, When I wrote my iPad app, I also viewed it as, and in in terms of opportunity cost, I viewed it as an opportunity to teach myself how to develop for iOS. Mm -hmm. So so I completely left it out. There's a whole other aspect of building a product can also be a form of investment in yourself other than just short-term monetary or even long-term monetary. This is indirect improving myself and building out my skill
3: set some people would yeah. almost argue and i would almost argue that it's it'd be more beneficial to try to get some sort of a job doing ios working for some like the ios example you had so it'd be better to get sub to a, a normal ios dev or a, mm-hmm. a to learn how to do it right? and have them pay you While you're learning, instead of drop all that cost into a product, and still, I mean, that's frustrating as hell for me. And I'm, I've had a few apps out there, but I mean, it's still like all the different build targets and schemes to try to get uh, the code base shared between multiple build targets, so I can tweak a few things and have a, a few different versions. I mean, and I'm still to this day questioning because I don't have. I mean, we spent a lot of time, we collectively have spent a lot of time individually with Ruby. So there's an idea of best practices, air quotes, all over the room, air quotes. But I mean, I have no idea in objective C. I mean, I And that's why I've hired people to work with me, to pair with me, to build some of this stuff just to get me up to speed. But I mean, if I could have subbed to somebody at a half my hourly and still be learning at the same time, I mean, I would probably be more than happy to have done that. Yeah. And
1: actually, that that's something I, I, I've made myself open to. I've talked to a few people before about doing iOS work at a reduced rate just to get iOS work so that I could have an excuse to play there more. Yeah,
2: yeah. I, I think there are a couple of good ideas there. But uh, the one that, that kind of struck me was that, and, and I think we're all tempted this way, is to go out and build the product ourselves. And, yeah. uh, yep. you know, yeah, if you can if you can get past that and, you know, Maybe pay somebody you know less than what it would cost you to do it. Then, then you have the the product and the the marketing is kind of the big, the big piece that you know we all may or may not be terrific at. But uh, anyway, um, we really do need to get to the picks. Um, somebody said that they had to be off the call in about fifteen minutes. So
1: yeah, okay. Somebody did say that.
2: So um, let's go ahead and get into the picks. Eric, what are your picks?
0: Um, okay, so I have three. Uh, first one is uh, Seth Godin posted a pretty good blog post. It was about, it's really relevant to freelancing. It's kind of, it's a part of an infographic that says how people think photographers spend their time. And it's like, you know, 80% is taking pictures, 15% is traveling to exotic location, 5% is partying like rock stars. And then next to it is how photographers, photographers actually spend their time. And it has like accounting, bookkeeping, upgrading computers, all that stuff. But the rest of the post is interesting because he talks about how, you know, on the right side, you can kind of hire people to do the work you don't want to do and try to get your life more towards the left side, which is kind of the ideal state that people have a, you know, you're a developer. You must be writing code 10 hours a day, every day. So I thought that was pretty interesting today. Um, another one, which is relevant to products, it's called 21 times. It's a, it's an email and newsletter mailing list type thing. Um, don't know how often, but basically it's like startup entrepreneur type stuff. Um, Most of the ones I've seen are like blog posts you've already seen or you might have already seen on the internet, but it's a good way to kind of get exposure to a lot of different ideas. Um, I read a couple of them yesterday, and uh, I've already read the blog posts, but they're they're such good blog posts that it's like I want to have an email copy of this. Um, So I'll put the link in the show notes so you can send it for that. It's free right now, it looks like. And then the other one um, I mentioned earlier, which is Amy Hoy's 30 by 500. It's a class, I think it's, what is it, Jeff, like three or four months or something, but it's kind of teaches you how to build a product. It's it's probably the best building product building course I've ever done. Um, she touches a bit on marketing, but the whole point is to go from like, you think you have an idea to you've launched a product. Um, really good stuff. It will really kind of change how you think about products and especially how you think about ideas. Um, kind of what I was talking about earlier about like, you know, this is a product focused business versus a market focused business. Um, I think she's opening up her next session pretty soon. Um, it's pretty good. I'm in it. I've been in it for years. So that's my picks. Uh, a blog post by Seth uh, 21 times and then the 30 by 500 class.
2: So you're you're saying thirty five by or thirty? By, ugh, I can't talk. Thirty by five hundred. You've been in it for years. So once you're in, you're in. Is that kind of how it works?
0: Yeah. So say you signed up for the one that that just ended the winter session. Uh-huh. When you're done with it, you go onto the alumni list, and it's a private mailing list where all of the past people are on. Uh-huh. And so. It's a huge benefit because, like, you know, someone would say, like, "Hey, I'm almost done with my product. Here's my my uh, website for it. Can someone give me a review?" And you can get like a dozen, two dozen, like heavy reviews of like this word sounds out of place. Your market will not respond to this word, or you need to put this graphic here. And I mean, I you know, I've been doing products for a while. I posted my thing for Turk there. It took me two weeks to go through all the feedback and all the changes and all the ideas and wow. the, the difference is like, oh, my God, like this is awesome looking now. So, yeah, you, you sign up for it and you basically get um, re-invited in as an alumni and it's pretty good. I mean, just the mailing list alone is pretty good. If you don't have anyone, like if you're freelancing at home and you don't have anyone to kind of bounce ideas off of, like the mailing list is awesome.
2: Mm-hmm. Now, if you're an alumnus, can you retake the course?
0: Um, I think so. I believe so. Uh, I'd have to check with Amy. I've been around since the beginning. So she kind of adds me and I'm kind of a, a teacher's assistant type thing right now, I think. But, um, yeah, I think you get full access to the, all the lessons again if she changes them and all that.
2: Okay, cool. Uh, Evan, what are your picks?
1: Well, like before I've been traveling a lot, so, uh, I'm going to fall. I'm surprised no one said anything about this before, but I'm going to fall back on Tripit. Uh, which has actually been around for a bit. Uh, But TripIt is a web app and iOS app and probably Android app by now, which um, monitors your travel plans, uh, lets you share your travel plans with other people. when I say monitors, it will inform you if the plane's running late, how late, etc. It tends to update pretty quickly. Um, Really handy for keeping track of things like – frequent flyer miles and that sort of thing and frequent flyer status. Um, I probably should have mentioned this before because with all the travel that I tend to do, um, which I guess I average maybe – well, I say a lot. Maybe it's every other month. But it, it, it's a game changer for me. It makes my travel life a lot easier. Um, also with the traveling, I've been reading more fiction. Uh, so I'm going to throw a fiction pick in there. I've been reading Stephen Baxter's um, Manifold series, his Manifold – Time. I'm reading the second book, Manifold Space. They're um, very big, ambitious stories. They have characters in them that are kind of two-dimensional. It's really more about the stories, but they're pretty nifty stories. So if you're looking for a decent sci-fi read, which I often find very difficult to get a hold of, I enjoy the heck out of those books. Oh, and the one that I've mentioned to Chuck and the Jeff, and they've both loved, I, I read a while ago, is um, – Nathan – what's Nathan's last name, guys? Nathan Come Lowell. On, help me out. Nathan Lowell. Nathan Lowell's um, um, solar was it? Tales of – Trader Tales of the, Trader tra- Tales. Uh, Tales Trader of the Tales. Solar Trader or something like that. Tales of the Solar Clipper. Tra- Tales of the Solar Clipper. There you go. He's published, what, three or four of them in paperback and ebook now? And the rest of them are available in audiobook. I got impatient, well, podbook or podio book, he calls them. Yeah. He's um, getting them um, written down finally instead of just an audio format. But I got impatient a few months ago and went through all of the audiobooks for them, and well, it was worth it. It's a really great story.
2: Yeah, you can great get stories. In, you can get them in iTunes. You just subscribe. Yeah. And what he's done is he's actually posted them in reverse order. Which means that when you see them listed in iTunes, they're actually in the correct order because of the way that he posted them. Anyway. Oh, cool. And then um, I've also subscribed. There are six of those books. Uh, I think it's and quarter, quarter share, half share, full share, share, full share, double share, double share, double share captain, captain share, share and owner, owner share. share, and then and um, then
1: there's you're gonna mention the the follow-on book he wrote that's related but separate.
2: Is that Shaman Tales? Uh, really, there, there's another one. There, there's Ravenwood, and and I haven't listened to these yet. And Shaman Tales, one South Coast.
1: There, there's another one that's in the same universe. It's n- neither of those that I'm aware of. Mm-hmm. It's um, it's a side story, and it's killing me what it's called because the name is really very simple. I think it's something like a Light in the Dark or something like that. Is Shaman Tales another one in the same universe? Just a, nice. a side story.
2: I wouldn't be surprised at all because um, what was Without the character? talking about plot yeah. points. A Light in the Dark uh, is, is the one that I'm seeing here in iTunes. Um, yeah. yeah. Yeah, Show
1: Tales is under Solar Clipper Diaries. I, I just Googled it. A Light in the Dark was a good read. I read that on my uh, my last trip.
2: Yeah, I don't. Um, I don't see it in podio book form, at least not in iTunes under podcasts. But it is there under iBooks. So.
1: Oh yeah, Shaman's Tale. Okay, Shaman's Tales um, is in the same universe. It's on Saint, it's, a, it's set on Saint Cloud, which yeah, might ring a bell for those of us who remember the earlier books.
2: Yep. Anyway, cool. they're they're super. I used to yeah, listen really to good. them while I was trying to go to sleep, and inevitably, I just lay there and listened to it for like two hours. <laughs>
1: I've done that. I, I have done that. It, there, I don't know what makes him quite so compelling. His character—it's it, like the antithesis of space opera. It's dramatic, but there's no, there's almost no conflict. There are no blasters. There are no starfighters. It's just um, kind of like Firefly, except when Firefly—except the Firefly were legit instead of about crooks.
2: Yeah. So. Yeah, I think my favorite one is uh, double share. So anyway,
1: well, you still have more to go. <laughs> well, I, Don't
2: you? I yeah, I've listened to all the Trader Tales ones. I'm now oh, yeah okay, cool. Uh, anyway, yeah, I didn't like the way owner share ended. Anyway. Yeah. So, um, yeah, oh, great but books.
1: You, you, can, you can get a bunch of them for cheap on the Kindle. That's how I found them. I went on the Amazon Kindle store and was sorting by um, rating and just stumbled on it and loved it and then told Jeff and, and Chuck about it. And I guess you guys are hooked now, too.
0: Yeah. <laughs> Real quick, um, I haven't done it yet. I'm starting to. If you guys are interested in sci-fi or actually any kind of fiction, like, I'm going to start going through all of the award winners for the Hugo and the Nebula Award. You know, these are the top sci-fi for the year. I'm sure Mm -hmm. all other genres have these kind of awards, but I'm figured I'm going to go through that chronologically and that's going to give me like plenty of stuff to read.
2: Yeah,
1: it
0: will. But they're they can be pretty disparate and some of them
1: you might not like at all. I've, I've tried that a little bit and was a little disappointed, but you'll find some good stuff that way, too. And So, you know, let's look, Chuck, let's bring up a side topic. This is something that we talked about once before. And we can maybe mention it briefly. Mm-hmm. Uh, Chuck and I kicked around the idea of doing a, a sci-fi book podcast once upon a time. And um, then we shelved the idea that we ended up doing this podcast. So if, if folks would actually be interested in, in, in that sort of thing, give us a shout out and maybe we'll actually do it.
2: Yeah. I, it kind of occurred to me that, you know, um, Eric's idea of going through like the Hugo or Nebula Awards – just reading through the books, and you know, just getting on every week and talking about a few chapters out of whatever book that might be interesting. Um, the other one that we we kept kicking around, and I've actually now purchased the first book in this series, was A Song of Fire and Ice. So. Um, I should- Fires. Ice and Fire, mm-hmm. Ice and Fire, Fire, and ice. something, it's it's something like that, anyway. Or just go uh, watch
1: I, the HBO series.
2: <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. there's there's a bit of nudity in that, and I, I'm not oh, I'm okay. sure yeah, if I'm ready that, for that. So that, that won't work for some people. And yeah, for uh, some Mormons in, on the podcast, it just, yeah, anyway.
1: Well, there's some things in the book that are pretty intense, too, but the book doesn't talk about the nudity as much, but it doesn't shy away from the violence at all. But then again, yeah. you know, religious folks, for whatever reason, seem to have a better time with the violence and <laughs> in yeah. general i'm not picking on any religious folks in particular i'm just saying i'm picking
3: on all of them not just some. yeah of
1: american them. folks seem to like their <laughs> violence just fine and they get really upset when they see a boob <laughs> I, I can say that word right that that's yeah. a safe word am i g- gonna get bleeped
2: <laughs> i don't know anyway <laughs> yeah I, I i don't know I, i'm still trying to figure out where the line is with literature and stuff like that but anyway because it's it's not always clearly defined. Anyway, um, do you have any other picks, Evan?
3: No, I think that's plenty.
2: All right. Jeff, what are your picks?
3: Uh, I just had the one, uh, yes, 50 scientifically proven ways to be persuasive. I was looking for an audio book to read on the way to New York and back, and uh, I had that one. I tried to sync a couple over, and I don't know if I didn't check them, or I have to sync everything two or three times for it to actually get over to my iPhone for some reason. But... I wish I would have remembered about Double Share because I've been waiting for him to publish the book because I like to read him but I didn't listen to him. But mm-hmm. I would have listened to it on the way to New York and that would have been a nice one to get through. I don't know about the Nebula Awards but I went back through and read and I, I have a tendency to read everything by an author so a while ago, I read all the James Bond, all mm-hmm. the Ian Fleming novels. So I read all of them. And then before that, I did Heinlein, Robert Heinlein. I basically yes. read it. everything he wrote.
1: Wow, that's a lot.
3: Yeah. But I mean, I just love, I mean, you get into a mindset with, like, you really sort of adopt his style of, I don't know, you just get used to the way he writes or something. So it's yep. a lot easier for me to stay with the author. So I just churned through it, but. Totally did that with
1: Asimov and Foundation.
3: Yeah. Yeah.
2: It's, Anyways, it's, we
1: digress. <laughs> yeah. Well, totally. It,
2: it's interesting that uh, we we all kind of find some sanity in reading the literature. I mean, I've been reading the um, the Inheritance books by Christopher Paolini. That's Aragon and all of those. They're yeah. not they're not incredible books, but I mean, if I need to shut my brain off, it's a good way to go. So, um, yeah. So my picks, a couple of them that I'm going to throw out there. One is Goodreads. And oh, I, yes. I wasn't going to pick it before the podcast, but just about everybody's brought up uh, literature in one way or another. Goodreads is terrific. Great way of sharing what, what you're reading and um, finding out what, what other people are reading. Just just really, really love it. Um, one other thing that I discovered and uh, I'm really uh, enjoying is um, it's called Things, and it's an application for the the Mac. You can get it in the Apple App Store. And what it is, is it's a to-do list, but it has all of the features that I wished all of the other to-do lists that I've ever tried to use had. So um, the, the big one for me was that I can schedule to-dos. So if there's something that I need to do every week, then I can schedule it weekly. If there's something I need to do on on particular days of the week, I can schedule that. If I need it every day or every weekday, I, I can, you know, I can put those in and then they just show up in my today to-do list for today. Um, and I can tell them, look, it should show up in the to-do list a few days before it's due or when it's due. Um, I can sort things into projects. I can sort things into, um, into different roles that I play, you know, like, like being a dad and being a developer and, you know, clients and what have you. And, you know, just, just really helps me organize all of the stuff I have to keep track of. So, um, really, really enjoying that really think that it's just super. So, um. Those are my picks, and um,
3: things. Things is not new pick for you. I mean, uh, no, is that new do... discovery because that's right.
1: Because the three, the four of us have talked about things and OmniFocus and GTD uh-huh. and a lot. Because I, this goes back to like episode one. I mentioned David Allen's getting yet? things done, and no, it, it doesn't do Cloud Sync yet, unless they've added that very, very, very recently.
2: It will yeah, we... sync with my iPad over the wireless. Right, yeah, it's imp-
3: Wi-Fi sync only. Yeah. yeah, my impression was that Things is basically dead. It got its yeah. last major update in like 2009. and
2: Oh, really? I yeah. think so, it, yeah.
3: It hasn't really gone
1: anywhere, and they've been promising the cloud sync for ages, and it hasn't shown up.
2: Anyway, um... I mean yeah. it's, gorgeous, it's nifty, <laughs>
1: but yeah, it's really nifty. The other alternative is is Omni Group's Omni Focus, which is tons and tons and tons of features and so many features it kind of hurts my brain to use it. And
3: Eric Omni used Focus, to like it for a while.
1: Hit list, wonder
3: list, there are about a billion of them. Yeah, yeah, now there are. That's, totally, that's for all the assholes scratching their itch. Yeah, plain I was text, baby, plain text. <laughs> <laughs>
2: Yeah, I was using uh, Wonderlist before, and the problem is, is that you know it doesn't do all the scheduling and management and stuff. But it's open well. source. Fork it. It's open source. I didn't realize that.
1: And there's another one that a friend of mine likes that I've tried called Flow App, and um, it's good. Supposedly good for teams. I had a hard time using it. Um, you know, everyone likes their GTD tools different. Then there are the people at Mountain West who, oh my gosh, they use a Moleskin notebook a <laughs> high high tech man really high tech
2: i have a moleskin notebook and i you know, i carry it around with me now. but <laughs> but the reason that i have it is because i find it too painful to type stuff into my phone you and, know
3: i have i have a moleskin too and uh, that's probably not even how you're supposed to say it i mean uh, yeah i think it's moleskine
2: probably... or something but yeah
3: M- moleskin <laughs> see and mine was given to me but I have a hard time writing down just junk in a $15 notebook because it's like I'd rather write down a $0.99 cent notebook, uh-huh. whatever it is, because I don't have to worry about whether or not my ideas are good enough or permanent enough to be in this, like, holy of all holy notebook. <laughs> I, don't know, it was just, I had a major hang-up with using my Moleskin for anything.
1: So I yeah. guess while we're talking about to-dos, I used to do all kinds of fancy things, and now what I use is um, Siri on the iPhone 4S allows you to record reminders with your voice. And I I have the problem, that was to me was almost the ultimate because I have the problem that I always think of things to do when I'm doing something else and I don't want the distraction, especially when I'm driving. So um, I usually drive with a Bluetooth headset when I can and I just hit the button on the headset and say, remind me to blah, blah, blah. And eventually, after trying three or four times, maybe Siri will get it right. Sometimes it gets it right on the first try. Or it'll get it close enough that I can look at it later and go, oh, that's what I meant. Um, So the Reminders app on the iPhone 4S is pretty sweet. The other thing that I I really dig about it that's missing from almost every other to-do app is you can set location-specific reminders. So remind me when I get to this place to do
3: this. That might actually um, help me because I was going to remind everybody – to set your default reminder time because I use Siri to tell me to bring like a shoebox into my daughter's pre-k class and leaving and coming back home at nine o'clock it reminded me but I dropped her off at eight o'clock <laughs> yeah and, uh, so, so it didn't help me but the 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 iOS reminders app is really
1: very bare bones but on the other hand for a GTD process bare bones can be kind of a good thing constraints can be mm-hmm. a good thing it has been a kind of common theme for me lately. It, it is far simpler than almost anything else. Doesn't have tagging. Doesn't have any of that. It just has a few categories. And frankly, I tend to dump almost everything in the inbox. And if the inbox gets to be too big, then I probably need to start deleting stuff. And then you know I have a backlog for for older things that maybe doesn't go in the inbox for stuff I just need to look at every now
2: and then. Yeah, I just use the Moleskine when I'm out and about. <laughs> See, Now
3: he's pronouncing it better. <laughs> yeah. Did, did I pronounce it not, not, not I really don't know. Anyway, um, so I'll
2: you. so I'll I'll write things down when I <laughs> when I'm out and about and and I don't have like a device that I can sync up with things and then when I get back then I'll 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 do a, a quick mind transfer from one mind to the other. <laughs> and then it and then it just works Into for me.
1: To my mind, your thoughts to my thoughts.
2: Anyway, with that we uh, we should probably wrap up. Uh, since somebody has a meeting like five minutes ago. Yeah. And, well, the uh, guy's
1: online right now anyway. So the heck with it.
2: <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, um, you can catch us in iTunes. We actually made it into new and noteworthy. So yay! Uh, yeah. In, in technology of all things, which is like hecka hard. So thank you all for, uh, for supporting us, rating us, leaving us reviews. Um, totally. I think, I think that's really what gets us up there. Um, is that a new subscription? So, um, thanks again for everybody to, uh, who's, who's been listening to us and, uh, go leave us a, leave us a review, but also, um, go to rubyfreelancers.com, click on request a topic and let us know what you want to hear about. Um, we do have 30 odd, um, topics in there, but we can always use a few more. So, um, with that, we'll, we'll wrap this up. We'll catch you next week.
0: See, see ya
3: later.